0: One thing we know about pregnancy loss, it takes away so many of our choices, so it's incredibly important that we try to, to empower each other and ourselves throughout this process.
1: You're listening to Dr. Sunita Osborne on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting-edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health.
0: I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado, and
1: co-author of ACT Daily Journal. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, co-author with Debbie on ACT Daily Journal and practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based
0: clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors. We hope you take
1: what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Many of us are feeling exhausted, anxious, stressed, or burned out, yet feel like we still need to work harder and achieve more. I've gathered a number of leading experts in the field of compassion, habit change, parenting, mindfulness, and social change that have strategies to help. On October 15th and 16th, I am co-hosting the From Striving to Thriving online summit with Mindful Communications and Mindful.org. I'll be interviewing eight thought leaders, including Jed Brewer on the neuroscience of craving, Kristen Neff on self-care, and Rick Hansen on healthy striving. This summit is a powerful and personal one, and there's no cost to attend. I really hope you can join me. My co-sponsor, Mindful Communications, is also hosting a free three-day virtual summit titled Healing Healthcare, a Global Mindfulness Summit on February 8th through 10th, 2022, that you won't want to miss. It's bringing together leading experts, healthcare executives, and thousands of frontline healthcare professionals to explore both individual and system-level approaches to support well-being. You can learn more by checking out the link in our show notes or by registering from fromstrivingtothriving.com. That's from fromstrivingtothriving.com. Psychologist Off the Clock is happy to be partnered with Praxis Continuing Education. With Praxis, you can really transform your clients' lives by learning how to effectively promote lasting change with evidence-based training. And they're really the premier provider in continuing education for clinical professionals. Praxis has both on-demand courses as well as live online courses. They have beginner offerings like Act One from Matt Boone or more advanced offerings like Act Immersion with Steve Hayes. Some of their live online courses include classes in dialectical behavior therapy, superhero
0: therapy, and act with parents.
1: You can get a coupon code for Praxis Continuing Education on our website, offtheclockpsych.com, for some of their live offerings. And we can really attest to the quality of Praxis. We've both participated in ourselves and have seen its benefits in our clinical work. So visit our offers page at Mm offtheclockpsych.com. This is a two-part series on pregnancy loss and infertility. In this first part of the series, we're going to be talking with Dr. Sunita Osborne about strategies for pregnancy loss and infertility. In the second part of the series, Dr. Alexis Bacic, myself, and Ann Cushman will share our personal stories of loss and infertility. I hope that these podcasts are useful for you if you've experienced pregnancy loss and infertility, or if you are a mental health professional, or have a loved one who is going through some of these struggles. I've chosen to separate out these episodes in this way because I thought it might be helpful for you to have an episode that's just completely dedicated to strategies and tools. And that's what this one is about. In the second episode, you'll be learning more about just personal stories, which I think is really important. And as you'll hear from Dr. Sunita Osborne today, it's really important to share stories and tell stories of pregnancy loss and infertility so that we break the silence around it. We'd love to hear from you. If you find this episode helpful, we'd love for you to share it um, so that people don't feel as alone in this process. I think it's really important to have some strategies. If you're experiencing pregnancy loss or infertility, or if your loved one has experienced reproductive trauma, and that's where Dr. Sunita Osborne comes in. She is a licensed psychologist and author of the books, The Miscarriage Map. What to Expect When You're No Longer Expecting, and The Miscarriage Map Workbook, An Honest Guide to Navigating Pregnancy Loss, Working Through the Pain and Moving Forward. And Dr. Osborne is a specialist in the area of reproductive psychology, and after finding herself lost and without a map of her own experience of pregnancy loss, she became committed to increasing awareness and decreasing stigma towards miscarriage. It's a real delight to have you on. Thank you for being here, Sunita. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is such an important topic. I'm wondering if we can begin with this concept of reproductive trauma, because I think a lot of times people don't associate the word trauma with with pregnancy loss or even trauma with something like infertility. Can you describe to us why we term those experiences as trauma? And then also what are some of the symptoms and
0: experiences that are common among the folks that you work with, or maybe even yourself? Yeah, that is such a good question. And I so appreciate the way you asked that because so many of my clients, Even when I bring in the word trauma into the room and reproductive trauma, that concept, there's such a sense of validation there. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that it could be called that. And the reason we call it that is in the field of reproductive psychology, trauma is anything that happens outside of the normal of what we would expect. So when we think about fertility, when we think about pregnancy, things that deviate from that experience. So that could be infertility, that could be miscarriage, stillbirth, it could be IVF, failed cycles of IVF, any of those things that we don't expect to, to happen. And they fundamentally shake our very core beliefs when they do. We find ourselves thinking differently about ourselves, our sense of safety, about others. And some of the ways that it can show up and some of the things we may see in those folks, including myself as well too, is that you may experience a sense of isolation from others where you felt connected in a certain way and attached in a certain way. It may be hard to feel that same kind of connection, and that can go to others as well as yourself. You may find yourself even feeling detached with your own self, your own feelings, your own experiences. You may also find it really hard just to function day to day. It may be challenging to focus, to concentrate, and you may really find yourself just withdrawn from the things that you used to really enjoy and find pleasure in, and Part of the reason why we think that may be happening is that, again, trauma really shakes us to our very core, our foundation, and it's really hard to find our grounding. And I think something specific to this type of trauma is that not only do we experience it, we're also kind of questioning, like, why do I feel this way too? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. It's so hard for me to find my my footing again.
1: And then there's also this layer of shame. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's this thread through which, you know, my story and Alexis's story of feeling a sense of shame. And then also you're going through it in a very sort of private way, a very alone experience. And it
0: seems like that would really exacerbate trauma recovery. Yeah. I think that is such a good point because there's so much shame when it comes to pregnancy loss. And I think part of it is because we are such sense-making beings. Whenever something happens, we want to try to make sense of it. And because pregnancy loss is not talked about very much, What I try to do then is I go internal. I try to make sense of, okay, why did this thing happen? And maybe I get an answer from my doctor, but many times we typically don't get an answer. So left in that uncertainty, my mind fills with, there must be something about me. There must be something in me that caused this to happen. And other people aren't talking about it. So clearly there's just me in this by myself and... That is such a breeding ground for shame. That uh, the secrecy, the isolation that we live in, and again, it becomes a piece of like there has to be something wrong with me that this happened to me, and there's nothing out there that's contradicting that. At least not in my forefront right now. So it really becomes a painful place to be in. You write about in the miscarriage map how it's
1: one in four pregnancies that ends yes. in miscarriage, and mm-hmm. I think what's was interesting for me in thinking about like my own reproductive process that before I had, uh, my pregnancy loss, I didn't have a whole lot of sense that other people were having this experience too. But then when I had it and I started to later on, talk about it with friends or family members, it just, everything came out of the woodwork. Like there's mm-hmm. so many women are experiencing this, but it's behind closed doors. And That leads to this other question that I have around disenfranchised grief, which you talk about in the book. What is disenfranchised grief and how does it influence
0: our um, recovery process? Yes. Oh, such a good question. And so disenfranchised grief essentially is any experience of grief and loss that is not readily accepted by society. So that could be something like, for example, the loss of my pet, the loss of my ex-partner. It could be infertility and pregnancy loss as well too. And the challenge with disenfranchised grief is that there's not ready support and resources for us already as a society. I think we struggle to accept grief, to make space for grief in our life. And then you add this element of this is not something that people typically talk about. And then I, I feel even more alone in my experience. And I feel like I shouldn't be seeking out support. And there's something wrong with me that I'm feeling upset about this. Because again, I don't see it in other people. So that breeding ground for isolation and secrecy gives way to shame. And I think disenfranchised grief, it reinforces that even further. So how do we work with that? Here we
1: have these traumas that are not um, accepted by society necessarily. It's not something you can talk about at your Thanksgiving table. Uh, And (laughs) at the same time, they're completely dramatically like pulling us under in our lives. What are some of the suggestions that you have for folks in, in navigating
0: this experience? Yeah. So a couple of different things come to mind. One being, there's something that's so challenging when we keep all of this in our minds. And while ideally, I would love to tell everyone, and I definitely will recommend this, is find that safe person in your life that you feel truly safe and at ease and peaceful with and let them, start to tell them some of these things. Let them know what is going on inside your mind and be able to receive their, their compassion and their acceptance. And I also recognize for a lot of us, we're not there yet. It feels so scary and hard to hold that I can't, I can't let myself do that. So instead, what I would really encourage you to do is even start by journaling, journaling some of these different feelings and concerns and shame beliefs. And at times you know it's a belief related to shame. If there's more, it's like I should, that's a big indicator to us that there's something going on here that maybe could be related to shame, to go ahead and start writing those down. And once you have them on paper. So for example, some common ones may be, I should be able to have a pregnancy. I should be able to have kids. I shouldn't be that sad about this. There's something wrong with me that I'm still grieving my pregnancy loss from 10 years ago. Once you have those down on paper, imagine someone who you really love, who cares about you. Imagine reading that to them. And even if, and just let yourself receive the compassion and grace from them, even if it is just through this kind of imaginal exposure activity.
1: You also suggest that we should journal about our story. And some of the um, prompts that you asked, I was kind of like, whoa, that would be intense, (laughs) right? So uh, for somebody that's um, had a pregnancy loss, writing things like, or maybe people that are experiencing infertility, writing things like, when I thought of my future family, I always envisioned this. Or when I imagined pregnancy, I thought it would be this. Or when I considered being a parent, I imagined this. And as I was thinking about those questions and answering those questions when I was in the middle of all of that, it would just be really, really, really painful to answer those questions, Mm -hmm. to even go there. How do you work with
0: people in in approaching what feels unapproachable? Yes. Oh, that's such a good question. And even starting with those kind of questions, those can be really painful to be able to even just go through, depending on what part of the process of trauma recovery that you're in. Something that feels really important with this process is being able to empower someone wherever they are in the process. So, for someone they feel like, oh my gosh, even going there right now, it feels like it would overwhelm me. What that tells me is like, we need to take a step in a different direction, not backwards, not forwards, but in a different direction. Maybe that means we need to spend some more time thinking about how are you taking care of yourself right now? Because I imagine after the pregnancy loss, maybe that changed, maybe that didn't, but let's sit down and slow down and make sure that you are taking care of yourself in the way you need to. Maybe let's check on your connection, your social support, and let's do other parts of this work that are just as important. And then if it feels helpful, we will move to that too. I think as much as we can in this process, empowering people to let them know, we will work on this in the way that you need to. One thing we know about pregnancy loss, it takes away so many of our choices. So it's incredibly important that we try to to empower each other and ourselves throughout this process.
1: And I I was thinking about, I was reading those questions and I was like, oh, I don't know if I could answer that when I was in the middle of losing my baby. Um, The question, like when I considered being a parent, this is what I imagined. But I also think that we're already rehearsing those questions or those, that imagery in our head, you know? And so being able to write it out in some way is like an exposure practice. It's moving towards the feelings and thoughts that are already going on in our heads. And it seems like it would be empowering for folks to be able to start to write that story
0: out. Yes, I think that's the beautiful part about the reproductive story is that it's in you. When we decide to tap into it, it's a different story, but that narrative, we have of parenthood of what we imagined our family was going to look like, what it would be like if and when we were parents, that is within us. And a lot of times what I hear clients say, or just friends, family, they only become aware of that narrative when it gets interrupted. So, for example, a lot of times I'll hear someone say after they experience pregnancy loss, I never thought this would happen to me. I never thought my life was going to look this way. What you thought it looked like, what you had hoped it was going to look like, that is your reproductive story. And there is something that is empowering. I think you're right about being able to tell that story because it's one that deserves to be honored. It's one that deserves to be grieved as well, too. I think one thing that's been really important in my experiences. Telling the stories of loss, but also telling the stories that, that never quite got to come true as well, too, and being able to make space for, for both of those at the same time. Mm, that's beautiful.
1: So something that comes to mind as, as you were talking is that there's the individual that's experienced the, the loss, but then oftentimes there's a partner involved mm-hmm. in that. And yes. it seems like there'd be a lot of shared experience between the, the birthing parent and the um, non-birthing parent. But then there's also a lot of differences in terms of their experience. And I know for me in my own experience with my husband, I never felt more close to him than I did when we lost the baby. And at the mm-hmm. same time, I also felt like he would never really understand uh, what it was like for me. And I wonder... How you work with the 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 partner that's not actually having holding the pregnancies in terms of their own trauma, but also supporting
0: their birthing partner in the trauma. Yes. Oh, there's so much complexity there in just that dynamic between the birthing and the non-birthing partner for, for a few different reasons. One being there's so much focus on the birthing partner during the experience of pregnancy. It's their body that is going through this, to the point that even though there's not as much attention and not as much focus on this. The little amount of attention and support that is focused around this is usually on the birthing partners. How is this person doing? For example, my husband used to often say after our miscarriages, people would check in with him, but they would ask specifically, oh, how's Sunita doing? Has she been okay? What's going on with her? There'd be no question of how are you? How are you dealing with all of this? And in a lot of ways, I think it made him think that I don't really need to have a say in this. It's about her. It's her experience. I think it really creates some distance between partners where this is, it is a trauma. It's a trauma that they are both going through. And What we know about trauma is that All of our individual background is going to go into the way that we experience it. So we may experience it differently based on our attachment history, our family background, cultural factors. So already that sets us up to experiences differently. And then you add the fact that one person is going through an experience that the other person is, but in a different way as well, too. So I think balancing all those pieces of that, they likely are both experiencing something something, but it is being manifested differently and making space. those differences. And I think it's important to be curious about those differences too, and to be able to find your partner in those differences as well, to be able to get a sense of, yes, maybe their grief, their experiences doesn't look the same as mine, and they are going through something as well. And can I allow myself to wonder about that and ask them about that and make space for both of us in this process?
1: And there's something that I think, I think helps with navigating a trauma when also you can understand that someone else is, is navigating it too. When I had the experience of compassion for my husband and his loss and looked in his eyes and saw how hard it was for him, it helped me not feel as alone, but also helped me evoke that desire to care for him,
0: mm-hmm. which is
1: also like really helpful, you know, yeah. and, and not in the sense of like, I'm going to, not care for myself, but more like that flow of compassion, where it flows three ways of ability to receive compassion, give compassion and have self-compassion that all three of those are so important when we're going some, through something that's excruciating like this.
0: I completely agree. You know, I think it's so true that we heal in our relationships with others and in relation with others. So being able to look at my partner's eyes and see the grief and the hurt and the loss that he's experiencing as well, and being able to connect. And like you said, it's not about escaping my own feelings, but about joining each other in this shared experience of loss that we've had can be so powerful. A lot of times in the couples that I see where they really struggle is when one partner feels like I shouldn't be sharing what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking with my partner, because I don't want to burden them, whether it's the birthing partner or the non-birthing partner. I just want them to take care of themselves. What ends up happening is I feel so separate from you. You are the person who's gone through this with me in the most acutely similar way, but it feels like we're apart. So I think there's something really powerful about being able to come together in that grief. And again, making space and honoring the differences we may show and how we experience that grief, but being able to come together and connect with it. And you know, one more piece that feels important on this is something we'll see a lot of time is when it comes to the non-birthing partner, they may experience what we call delayed grief where the event happens, but there's so much focus on the birthing partner that they really repress a lot of what they're feeling until actually it'll show like months later, some of that depression, some of that grief will start to show up. And, you know, I'll say speaking personally, and that's exactly what happened with my husband and I, that I was really in a place of, of loss and grief and trauma after our experiences. And it wasn't until over a year later that my husband really found himself just confronted with an onslaught of, of depression and sadness and just reckoning of everything that had happened because he was so focused on me and making sure I was okay.
1: So one of the the skills that you teach is around writing your story, writing your birth story, writing your hopes out. And the just real like healing process of that. Another skill that you're talking about here is, is healing through connection with another. Mm -hmm. You're sort of one person or a few people that you can just really be real with about what's happening for me. And then another strategy that you talk about in your workbook is memorializing your baby. I did this in my own, um, Pregnancy loss, and I didn't know if this was good or bad to do. It just felt Mm -hmm. right to me. So we created this little um, altar in in our living room where I keep his things. I have his little bracelet that they gave me in the hospital. I have his little stamped feet in a box, and it's there with other uh, objects that represent people that or animals that we've lost in our family. It's become a little bit of our death altar, and it really feels like it's like taken. Taking the the loss and grief out and putting it in our living room to say this is something not to be shame shameful of, but rather something to honor. I'm right. wondering about this, this even just naming your baby, all the different ways which we can memorialize a baby, why that's so important.
0: Yeah, you know, I think why it feels so important is as humans, we have such a need and a desire that when something like this happens, we have a group, to be able to almost physicalize it in a sense that I want to honor it by making it feel real and tangible. this in, incredibly intangible thing. So by being able to moralize it through like smelling like beautiful like that, like an altar or through giving a name to this baby, to this dream, this person that was so important to me or other ways that are maybe related to your cultural background or to your family or things like that, that feel important is a way of honoring this person and this experience that you've had that was very real and very important to you. I think something that's nice about it too, is it gives you a place to go as well, whether it is again, a name that you can use in a conversation or a place you can visit, or even something that you can just Come back to every year around like the anniversary, something like that, that will allow you to to really have a place to go and to find safety and find connection and to find relationship to to the loss.
1: I have a question around folks that may be experiencing serial losses, so hmm. repeated infertility um, yes. experiences or repeated uh, miscarriages. Something that uh, Alexis talked about. How do you work with people that, you know, I'm on sort of the other side. I have, you know, I, I ended up being able to have another child, but how do you work with people that are really in that uncertainty of, do I keep at this or not? Mm-hmm. Um, why am I even doing this? And and even just sort of like that hope that may not be helpful hope. It's just yeah. such a complicated territory to
0: enter into. Yes. I mean, and part of the answer, I think I just heard in your question of like the, why am I doing this? So if I'm working with someone who is, and I think this happens fairly often, someone who has experienced multiple losses, whether that be pregnancy loss, whether that be failed IVF cycles and things like that, something will really slow down and explore is, is my why. Why am I doing this? What are the values? What is the mission that underlies all this really challenging work and experiences and everything I've had to go through to get to this point, I think it be a really grounding thing to really narrow in on, yeah, what is my why? What are those values? And let me use it as my compass to help me move forward in some way. It makes me think of the fertility community. We use the word like rainbow a lot, like your rainbow baby. And I'll try to use that with clients, but to help them also explore that your rainbow what you need moving forward, it may be a baby, but it also may be something else as well too. And can we even just give you the space to be able to explore what is your rainbow? And once we can identify that, let's help you find ways to move towards it. So even just being able to, again, this is going to be empowering place. And once you write your reproductive story, your idea of here's what I wished for myself, there's an exercise of essentially trying out different endings. So can I even give myself the space to think, okay, so maybe my... My rainbow is I keep trying to have a baby or maybe my rainbow is I re-engage with certain passions or my career or something else in my life or something else altogether. So there's something about even being able to just let yourself have a thought exercise like what could be the different endings to the story that I never allowed myself to even think of. And again, it may not change your course, but there's something empowering about letting yourself know that you have options. You have stories and dreams and wishes that deserve to be honored and truly and truly heard as well.
1: I love how you're redefining that word rainbow, because I think there, at least in my experience, it was very much grabbed onto, I need the rainbow baby yes. <laughs> to solve my problems. And yes. then the rainbow baby came and did not solve my problems. So we actually, the rainbow for me uh, was about some of the deepening of relationships that I had through this process. It's a rainbow of understanding more of my, my client's experiences of grief, whether it's grief around uh, losing a a child or or other types of grief, and then also just the unpredictability of life and how to navigate that, like how, like, where is my ground? Where is my, what, what things are solid within me, whether that's my spiritual practice or my relationships or um, my connection to nature. I'm curious for you, what is the rainbow of this work for you? Because you do this day in and day out. I mean, what incredible, meaningful work, and also really, probably difficult work. And I guess I want to ask that question also in the context of folks that are supporting others
0: that are going
1: through loss. What have you learned about that that may be helpful to others?
0: Yeah, yeah. Gosh, there's a few different things that come to mind. I think what feel the rainbow for me has been being able to make space. For the things that often go unsaid, the really hard, challenging parts of fertility and parenthood that, in my experience, I get to have those conversations in the confines of the therapy space, but they don't exist many times outside of here. And I say I get to because it is an honor to be able to hear these wishes and these stories and these dreams and to be able to hold space for the grief that comes along with them, too. And so that's been part of my rainbow with this, of being able to have so many conversations with other people about what did you experience to connect? And like, you know, I talked about earlier, part of this has definitely been my own experience of healing, of having these conversations. I have healed in relation to some of the other conversations I've had and continue to have like in moments like this, like our conversation, when it comes to to others who are supporting, whether it's their loved ones, whether you're a helping professional, I think something that's really helpful to think about is is one meeting the person, just where they are, where they are in the process, allowing them to just stay there, certainly not moving to the future of what comes next, but what do you need right now in this moment? And another important part of that too is that a huge part of this work is Naming the things that go unsaid, even allowing them just to talk about their loss. I think the fear when it comes to trauma and grief, I don't want to bring up your loss because I'm going to make you think about it. I think a lot of times I had friends and family who were like that of like, I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to upset you. Believe me, I'm thinking about it. It is on my mind. I'm thinking about it already. But when someone gave me the permission, invited me into conversation to tell me, ask me about how are you feeling? Like, let me know this must be so hard for you. I thought I could talk about this thing that had just been sitting on my chest. So I think that's another thing I would just really suggest of it's in the room already, gently just call it out with them or invite them to let them know, like, I'm here and I want to listen with you.
1: Yeah, it's in the room already. Absolutely. And it continues to be in the room. It's many years later. And I would say, I think about him. I saw a rabbit on the day um that I drove to the hospital when I was going to labor. And I and every time I see a rabbit, I think about him. So we can assume that the person that's lost a child or that's going through infertility for sure that is like on yes. their mind 24-7. So it's good to actually you step up um and and invite that to be a safe place where you could talk about this. Well, as we're wrapping up here, I do want to make sure that we have resources in the show notes for folks of where they can turn to for support. Um, Obviously your book is a resource and your workbook, anything that you want to really point people to that are struggling with reproductive trauma that could be helpful.
0: Yeah, I think a few different things. I think podcasts that talk about pregnancy loss and miscarriage, those are so, so helpful because I think there's something about being able to hear other people's stories to let you know that you are not alone, as well as even just checking out different online communities. Postpartum Support International is a great resource for that. Just allows you to see like, what are communities in my area that have experienced pregnancy loss or are going through infertility and not to be alone on that journey? So I think And I probably the fourth time I've said this now, but I think it's so important. Is if we heal in relationship with others. So find find your people, whether it is through podcasts, whether it's online, whether it's in person. So I think checking out all those resources can be really helpful.
1: Well, thank you, Sunita, Dr. Osborne. It's so wonderful to have you here. And I just really appreciate you sharing the bits and pieces of your story, but also just your real wisdom in this department and the work that you're doing in the world. I wish I had you a few years back.
0: Oh, thank as you so my much. Therapist. Thank so, you. Or I had
1: these resources and I'm just glad they're available to folks now. Yeah, yeah I you. completely agree. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can
0: connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, our dissemination coordinator, Katie Rothfelder, and our editorial coordinator, Melissa Miller. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com.